Okay. So, my notes out. I suppose anything from the last three weeks would be fair game since we haven't had an ABF, but um, questions, thoughts, complaints, haiku. What the fifth blank? The rich man's demonstration. The rich man's demonstration. It's kind of tricky. The demonstration was the best one I could come up with. And what? The, well, the problem. See, I don't always alliterate, but the problem is once you get all but one, it's kind of like you're going to make that one fit, you know? And no, I did. I went with a thesaurus. A couple of them. I've heard some in my lifetime. I've heard some crazy attempts to twist things in for alliteration. Dr. Mayhew was amazing um, at what the words he'd come up with and invent to, to do alliteration. But anyway, yes. Oh, oh, Mike, 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 Mike. Have you ever thought of doing this as a crossword puzzle so we can get some other hints? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Other other thoughts? Um, Would you like a haiku? You've got a haiku, Simeon? Yep. Bring it on. Okay. Mirror. My face where I left it. This is one hand clapping. <laughs> I got it from a haiku book. That's, okay. That's okay. Okay, I'm going to take haiku off the list. Any thoughts, questions <laughs> um, from, from what we've gone over? Well, then I will begin us. If you guys could turn to Psalm um, 39. I, it, that's probably the, in regards to application and being on our guard, there's really, I think, two applications from this morning's message. One is to become rich in good works, to, to send our time, money, and energy on ahead. The other is the beware and be on our guard. And so Psalm 39 you get there, it's here somewhere. Um, it really is a remarkable prayer. And, and remember the Psalms, God gave us the Psalms so that um, we could sing them to him as a prayer guide, a song guide for us. And I don't know about you, but my prayer life is not always... I'll read things in the Psalms, like, man, I've never prayed for that in my life. And yet God gave this to his people so that we would sing these things to him. We would pray these things to him. And so look at Psalm 39, um, verses 4 through 6. And this is, I mean, if, if you, like me, find yourself wanting more, not being content, believing the lie, if I just get a little more, um, then I'll be all set. I, I remember uh, hearing one of those financial guys, um, what's his name, Dave Ramsey, it says, everyone he meets they are convinced if they could just make 10 or 15% more, they'd, be, they'd have all they need. He goes, that's across the boards from everyone who, you know, from, from two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight digit figures. If I just, just got a little more, I'd be all set. Um, verses four through six. So here's a prayer that I have this week started deciding I'm going to start praying regularly. Oh, Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth 
and does not know who will gather. That's something I plan on factoring into my prayer life. Um, it's remarkable the things the psalmist had us praying for. I don't know about you, these aren't things I normally or intuitively or off the cuff start praying about. So I think that's one, one application. Yes, I'll be, Elsa, microphone. So where's the line that you cross in providing for your retirement, your 401k, and so you're not a burden on your family, and when it becomes coveting and not relying on the Lord anymore? Hmm. That, and you're quite right, Alex, that, uh, that is the $8 billion question. Um, no, and I'll, I'll start, start by punting by saying I, I don't know if there is a clear-cut line. I think what we're dealing with is a heart issue. Um, I will say this, though. I grapple with some of the financial wisdom I get, that notion of you don't want to be a burden for other people. Um, I, turn to Second Corinthians 8. This is what gives me a hard time. Second Corinthians 8, I really wrestle with. Um, all things being equal, save for your retirement. That's fine. That's great. That's good. Let me say that clearly. But as we live our lives, I think all things aren't always equal. Right? So here's, here's my concern, is if we're seeing needs and we have cordoned off sections of our, of our assets and our money, and so that's my retirement, there's a sense in which I think you could make a comparison that that's very similar to what the Pharisees are doing with Corbin. Um, so as, as I save and as I prepare for when I'm not, I mean, I plan, I, I want to die in the pulpit, so, you know, that's, that's my plan. The elders may have other plans, but, but, um, but, uh, but as we encounter needs, let me say this. I don't think we'll ever regret giving. I don't think that'll be the case. I don't think, I've never met anyone who in their old age is destitute because they gave too much. So I, I, I would say that first of all. But look at the logic of second growth. I did a study once going through books on, um, see, Greg, you asked me about some of my views on retirement and stuff. You're going to get it now. Um, no, I was, I was at the Grace Community Bookstore bookstore. I went and got every book they had on finances and went to the scripture index in the back to see what they did with Second Corinthians 8. And what was amazing to me is none of them touched it. It wasn't in any of them. So what I'm about to read, I'm not suggesting this flattens everything else out. I am suggesting it needs to fit in there somehow. Okay, So here is Second Corinthians 8. Um, I'll just read most of the chapter. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been giving, that God has been giving among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. So you get, it's like a cake you're making. There's two ingredients, an abundance of joy and extreme poverty. You stir it up, you throw it in the oven, and what does that produce? It's overflowed into what? Abundance of generosity. And Paul doesn't say these people should be saving for their retirements. He praises as the grace of God. Um, for they gave according to their needs, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, let me ask you a question. The Apostle Paul is on a part, one of the things he's doing is a fundraising mission. There's been a prophecy that there'll be a drought and they're raising money for the Jerusalem church. When do you have to beg a fundraiser to take your funds? What does that presuppose? Paul's told them to stop. Right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be begging him. So I can only imagine the Apostle Paul is looking at these churches, these people, and their poverty and their joy. That's, too, that's enough. That's enough. You've given enough. There are other churches they can ship into, and they're saying, no, 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 Paul, Paul, take, take this. That's just crazy. That's out of generosity. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, what he's doing is he's, he's getting ready to come back to Corinth. And when he had gone on his outward journey um, as a missionary, people had made pledges. Um, they, they'd, they'd promised, or they'd made commitments to set aside some money. And Paul's getting ready to come back and pick up those pledges on his way back to Jerusalem. And so he reminds them of how awesome the grace of God was in the Macedonian churches. And then he's starting to round the corner to tell them, okay, I'm going to be coming back, so let's let's finish what we started. Um, and there's a couple things I, I want to make clear that I don't see Jesus and I don't see Paul guilting people into giving. And I, and I want to be careful not to. Paul will go out of his way to do that, um, not do that. He'll put forward the beautiful picture of the Macedonians. Isn't this wonderful? And he'll even say, I want you to do it not under compulsion, but voluntarily. And so that, that's important. I think we can take these principles. And I'm going to throw, there's going to be some tricky principles in a minute here. They're not meant to be a guilt trip. But I am throwing it out as alternative ways of looking at things. Outside of perhaps the neat and tidy, bowed um, financial principles that were taught. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, so that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command. So Paul could, as an apostle, be like, it's Sunday, give me your money. You know, I mean, he could do that. And he doesn't. I'm not going to use my apostolic authority. I'm not going to give a command. Um, I say this not as a command, but to prove your earnestness to others, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you. I want you to give because it's going to benefit you. Not going to command you to give. I'll tell you this. Put forward this beautiful example of the Macedonian church, and then I'm going to tell you it's, it's a benefit for you. Um, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do so. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Now, here's the part that's going to get tough. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. Which is to say, he knows that you know, a year or so has passed since he went through Corinth, and since the time that some people made some pledges and some commitments, their financial situation may have changed. You thought you were going to get a good crop, you, the crop didn't. You thought the boat was going to come in with your goods and it sunk. And so Paul first makes it clear, look, if you had promised to give X and you can't afford to give X anymore because your situation's changed, that's fine. God was pleased that you were willing to do it. 
God was pleased that the desire was there. And you're only supposed to give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. That's okay, on one hand. But then he's going to guard against this other danger. Maybe some people seeing that are now reconsidering. Hey, I suppose I could afford to give what I said, but what if my ships sink? What if my crops fail? What if sometime in the near future I have a need? Wouldn't it be better to hold back, to save, so I don't want to be a burden on anyone? Now look what Paul says. This is devastatingly challenging. Um, okay, verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. They may be fairness as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Now that is the verse that none of the financial books I looked at in the Scripture Nexus would touch with a 10-foot pole. What's he quoting in 15? What's he quoting? Manna. What was the rule with manna? Could you save up retirement manna? You couldn't save tomorrow's manna unless it was a Sabbath. He quotes the manna distribution principle. Now look at this. I have more than I need right now. And he looks at the notion, should I save, set aside the more that I have need for my future need, as opposed to this other person's present need, which is where I say the circumstances. Maybe you're not aware of anybody with a present need. But he says, in the face of, here's a brother or sister with a present need, I got this excess and I'm tempted to save it for my future need, I should give to them in their present need and trust that if I have a future need, someone else will take care of it. That's what he says. That is so un-American, it, it, it blows the mind because I don't want to have to depend on anybody. I want to take care of myself. I want the American Adam. I'm you're standing in, I'm the captain of my fate, you know, all that whole thing. And so that's why I'm saying there's nothing wrong with saving up in a retirement fund and all those things, all things being equal. I, I start to wrestle with it once it's, I see someone's need, and then this voice spring of it would be imprudent, it would be unwise. It would be foolish to help them when you need, know that you're going to have need a retirement fund. And that's why I don't think we're ever going to, I don't, I'm not aware of any person, I'm, and I don't. And again, I want to encourage people to free them up. I mean, but you know what's coming next week, right? Jesus is saying, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide yourself money bags. I mean, that's a command. Sell your, uh, sell your possessions. Give to the, we're going to have to deal with that next week. So that's where we're headed in Luke. <laughs> An unqualified statement to everyone to sell their possessions and give to the poor and provide money bags in heaven. So all I'm saying with, with, with this passage in Corinthians is to me the logic there where he looks at, I mean, it's right there in verse um, 14. Your abundance at the present time I have more than I need right now. What do I do with that? Um, is going to, okay, um, should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. And he quotes manna. So I got no problem with, with savings. That's great. That's prudent. That's good. I am nervous when fiscal plans tell people not to touch that when we Corbin it off and then we do encounter real needs. So that, that to me is the principle. I, I would, to me, it would be your willingness to dip into those things to meet someone's needs would indicate to you how... To, I'll, give you, I'll give you a real-life example. A friend of mine who is listening to the podcast, well, he, to him it'll be now, to us it's then, but, you know, um, when first, shortly after we became Christians, um, 
And uh, just this beautiful thing, one of these things I think that's self-evidently beautiful. And again, I, I think Paul's making it clear he doesn't want to guilt people into this. He wants to free them into this. He wants to show them beauty. And it's okay, you can do this too. This is where I'm trying to go. Um, not taking a stick and saying, stop it. Anyway, we had both were new Christians and um, maybe a year or two old Christians. And he, we were going to a small church. I had left to go to master's college. He'd eventually come a year after me. And while I was gone, our church had received, baptized, and received as a sister a young woman into the body who was later arrested um, and charged with the negligence in regards to the death of her daughter. The, the state was saying that her boyfriend had um, killed the child. Uh, the child died due to some sort of shaking or something. And it was unclear whether the ex-husband did it or the current boyfriend did it. But she got charged because they just passed a new law that if you're negligent, you look the other way and you don't report it, you get in trouble. So she got arrested. No one was charging her with doing this. And it was entirely unclear, was it the ex? Because with things like that, it's not like the, ki it's not like the kid. You can die hours afterwards if you've been shaken. And Anyway, so it was a mess. And she had sent communication to the church asking for help because she wanted to get on a bail so she could work and help raise money for her defense. And I'm sure some people in the church gave a little, little bit. You know what my friend Chris did? He emptied out his 401k. And his logic was really simple. If it were me, I have no doubt that I would empty out my 401k to get out of jail. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I mean, he was just a new believer. It was really simple math for him. Multiple people in that church told him he was being imprudent, he was being foolish, he, he could run off with the money. And he was just like, look, I'd do it if it were me. And I'm told to treat other people the way I'd want to treat myself. That's what I'm concerned about, is when our financial principles would come up to someone who wants to do this good thing, no one's guilting him into doing it. I think it would be good to do this. I think it would please God. And we're telling him, stop, that's stupid, that's foolish. That's what I want to free people to do. I don't think he's going to regret that. I thought it was beautiful seeing it from the sidelines. So anyway, that yes, microphone. You still have the mic? So that is good, and I understand that. Um, but does that manner principle apply to brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if you look at the world, you would give everything away because there's so much need right. everywhere. Where right. do you draw that line? Another good question. Um, I think we are to do good to all men, especially the household of faith. So there is an emphasis on the brotherhood and the, the, the body of Christ, but certainly not an exclusive emphasis there. Um, we should be eager for good works, especially amongst the household of faith. I, that, that's another question I agree that, that I've wrestled with. I'll just give you the, my wrestlings through these things. And one of the things that was helpful... Um, in helping me frame this was a book by Kevin DeYoung called What on Earth is the Mission of the Church? And one of the things he talks about is our spheres of responsibility. So what's my most immediate responsibility? My family, right? Um, I'd say my next circle would be probably this body. My next circle would probably be my local community. And then there might be the greater community, and then on and on and on. And so I think my response, the closer it is to being in front of my face, the greater my response. So here's, here's the example I use. Somebody in this body 
that we've covenanted to look out for each other is in dire need. Their house burns down due to some exception in their insurance clause. There's nothing. They're destitute. We must care for them. It's not a, if you feel led, we need to do this. These are our people. This is our body. This is our family. We need to take care of them. Okay, same thing happens to a family in Indianola at another church. I think it's good for us to help them. Um, I hope we would help them. I would feel less able to say, you have to do this. You have responsibility to do this. Um, and you push those circles out further. And it gets back to, again, what's on your heart? What's the good thing you want to do? How, well, let me put it another way. How much do you want to invest in the future? I'll spoil an example I'm going to use next week. So when I say it from the pulpit next week, you've got to act all surprised and go, oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I think that if Jesus, if we believe Jesus, the question of how much is ridiculous. Let me give you an analogy. Let's assume we're all playing a big, it'd be big, wouldn't it? Game of Monopoly. Huge, huge. Playing a big game of Monopoly. And halfway through the game, I pause and announce to you. I just want to let you know. For every Monopoly dollar you'll give me right now, I'll give you 100 real-life dollars when the game's over. Well, how much do I have to give you? Is not a question anyone would be asking. Right? If you really believed that you could give the money that was only worth some value for the next hour or so of the game, for money that can be spent for the rest of my life in the real world, the question, well, how much do I have to, would never enter our minds. I, I think the Macedonians got it. Every penny I give, I can get eternal, my eternity is richer. I'll sleep on the floor here. They get it, and they want it, and no one's guilting them into it. No one's beating them into it. They get it. That's, I think, what's being put in front of us. So it's not a how much, if, in other words, I think our entire approach of, okay, how much do I have to do to be a good Christian to do my bit misses the point entirely, entirely. And any approach like that is going to fail. Paul makes, God wants a cheerful giver. I don't want you to, rather, God, help me to see this as a beautiful thing and free me up to do it more and more and more and more. So, so that's, my, that's my answer. There's no tithing in the New Testament that I'm aware of. Um, you give according to your means, not according to what you have, what you don't have. Um, and tithing was, was to pay for the upkeep of the temple, and the king took a tenth. Um, nowhere in the New Testament is tithing. So here's the New Testament. As God's, here's what Paul says. As the Lord has prospered, you set aside a portion and give, not under compulsion. I don't believe. If you want to give 10%, praise God, that's awesome. I think I'd fall into Romans 14. Someone wants to observe a day. Someone doesn't want to observe a day. That's great. I, I'm not aware of any New Testament command to tithe. And I once got in, uh, I once got in hot water when I was family. The same church, actually, my friend went to back in New Hampshire. This family came to me. I was back visiting for the summer, and they, they were seeking my advice, and they didn't like the advice I gave them. Um, they, had, they had incurred some uh, medical bills for some problems with one of their kids. And the hospital was had an accountant that wanted to meet with them to figure out a payment plan. Because, you know, the hospital wanted to be somewhat reasonable, but they owed the hospital a considerable amount of money. And the, 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 uh, the accountant for the hospital was kind of saying, I, I, I think you can give... He was trying to cut out from them unnecessary expenses, and one of the expenses he saw was their giving to the body. He said, look, you, can, you don't need to do that. And so they came to me in my opinion, and I said, I agree with them. 
whoever is the borrower is the slave of the one who gives. You, it's the New Testament says, like a gazelle, get out of debt. Yeah, that's, it's not your money to give. Why don't you come and volunteer and clean the bathrooms at the church? There are other ways you can serve and give to the church that aren't cash. He was really, I think he was expecting me to tell him he was good for you for standing up to that guy. I'm like, I think the guy's got a point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, now that, that's just my opinion. I'm not going to press that on anybody else, but I mean, yeah. You give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Right now you're massively in debt to the hospital. There's a, you don't have. Now that also means you don't go out and, you know, buy yourself stuff, but yeah. So anyway, um, that may not be a popular opinion, but that's my take on things. So more questions, thoughts, or have we killed the conversation? Oh, Mr. Mr. Not doctor, Mr. Sparks. Steve. Steve. Uh, no, but I think I agree with you. Um, I think this is a heart sickness when uh, you always want more. Had the experience of recently retiring and I went to a financial advisor. He said, yeah, you've got enough money. Uh, you can retire, but why would you? And my wife agreed with him. Uh, it actually took a gangster in prison to get me to retire, but that's a different story. <laughs> so. Wow. But now that I'm retired, <clears throat> I'm insecure. Uh, you know, I, I'm worried that I don't have enough. Mm. Um, I'm worried that I can't do all the things I thought I wanted to do. And that seems like it's more human nature. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't really shake it, so I, I'm praying for contentment. And... I used to pray for wisdom, but the more you teach me, the more I'm not sure I want to know it all. <laughs> so, so anyway, my question to you is, uh, and this is in, prefer in preparation for next week, mm. should I play the lottery? Should I play the lottery? Okay. Um, well, that was a nice day, you guys. Have a good morning. Um, <laughs> I think in general, no. I, I, I mean... I know people who've been given a scratch ticket for a Christmas present. I'm not saying they're sinning if they scratch it off. But to me, the lottery is all about the desire for riches, which we're warned against. So it's kind of like if you go to Vegas for something and you're like, hey, I'm going to take five bucks. I can take five bucks and go see a movie. I'm going to take five bucks and play some slots. It'll be fun. I think that could be harmless because it gets back to your motives of your heart, right? I mean, so one person goes out, like, I'll, I'll let you in on a dark, deep, dark secret. Some some of the men in the church and I periodically four or five times a year will get together and have a poker night, <gasps> you know. And we're, you know, and somebody's going to walk home with five dollars, you know. And, and we have a blast. No, we have a blast. And part of the reason we'll do it with like nickels and dimes is with, if it's meaningless, people won't bet in any way realistically. But we want it to be such a small amount of money that there is no danger of greed. Now you could take that same five bucks and go out and see a movie. We take the same five bucks and get four hours of enjoyment and chatting and stuff. And I, I think, so I don't think the flat issue is gambling is what's wrong. Um, I think the issue is the desire for wealth and greed. And so you can buy a scratch ticket without desiring greed and view that as a good stewardship. Okay, I'm gonna really wrestle with that. Um, so in, so my, I'm not giving a hard and fast, I can't conceive of a scenario where it'd be okay. In general, no, I don't think scratch tickets are things Christians should be pouring themselves into. 
that would be my my answer. Is that, is that qualified enough for you? <laughs> oh, he wants the mic. You're forgetting that if you don't play, God can't give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Well done, sir. Excellent. Okay. Oh, Dan Barth. Oh, no, in the back, and then Dan Barth. Carol Hardy, then Dan Barth. Okay, well, I... Whoa, whoa. Hot, hot mic, hot mic, hot mic. Well, I could comment on that topic, but I'm going to leave it and go back to the other one. Is that okay? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, you, were, you were talking about your friend who pulled all the money out of his 401k. And I'm, I'm thinking about how differently I looked at things when I was a single guy involved in campus ministry living on about nothing. Yep. And, um, and you know, I was part-time staff with the Navigators. And um, I, I uh, probably because I didn't have enough money, I was relying on people's support and so forth. I, I took the money out of my IPERS. I just emptied it out. I thought, I'll, I'm, I'm in the Lord's work. I'll, I'll, I'll probably never need that. Well, later on, I had to buy it all back, you know. Sure. Because when you have a family and you have children, all of a sudden you have a whole different perspective on your responsibilities. So I just want you to comment on, on that because I'm, I'm certainly not criticizing yeah. the, the, the guy for taking the money out. And that, that I'm sure the Lord blessed him for that. But I'm just wondering what your comments are on the perspective of being responsible for your your family and their their future and in you know maybe laying something aside so that so that you can be taking care of them yeah i i still want to reiterate and you haven't contradicted this but i want to reiterate i'm not trying to guilt people and saying we all had to do what my friend did um i am pushing back against the people who are saying he shouldn't have done it you're not one of those people um but there were people telling him that was foolish of him um but, but again, I think if we get the, I'm not trying to say you have to, here's a new law. You have to go do the same thing. What I am saying is I don't think I can't imagine a scenario where someone's going to regret doing that. I mean, maybe I can meet the person who, man, I emptied out my retirement. Now I'm, now I'm living on the street because I gave it away to people. That's possible, but certainly no one's, no one's making you do it. Oh, Alex wants to jump in. Um, no one's making you do it. So I'd simply say it's a matter of what's the desire of your heart. What do you want to do? Now, over time, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? And, and John Piper wrestles with this, because he actually is one of the few guys I know who actually took this text on. And he said, okay, how much, the man in principle, how, you know that your mortgage is due tomorrow. And so you've got the amount of money you need for your mortgage today. And there's somebody who's in need. I got the money set for my rent right now. It's not due today, it's due tomorrow. Do I say, well, I'm going to give that away to that person and just trust that God will provide for my rent tomorrow. And again, I think we're getting back to circles of responsibility. I think that'd be kind of foolish. You know, if you've made an agreement with your landlord or you made an agreement with the bank, then you need to make do be faithful to keep that agreement. Um, okay, push it off a year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years. To my mind, that argument exponentially decreases as you press things out. You know what I mean? So obviously. I know I, my car needs new tires at the end of this week. I know my car will need new tires sometime next year. You know, that, 
those are different value scales. And the other thing would just be my view of someone's need. I mean, sometimes I see people that are in absolute need. It is not their fault. It's just been other times I see people there in need, and I kind of think it probably partly is their fault. <laughs> and so it's going to be also that, 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 like the Good Samaritan, he felt compassion. What wells up in me as I see people? What wells up in me as I'm aware of need? And how that competes with, so it's going to be different in every heart. So I'm not, if you're looking for a rule or a law, I don't think this or Jesus gives it. What I'm, hope, what I'm hope to explain more next week is Jesus freeing things up so that we can be more and more generous, freeing things up so we can give more and more, um, and it's not going to be, here's your rule. So I don't know if I dodged your question or if that... Okay. But Alex wants to weigh in here. So, Alex. Yeah, so... Um, oh, I know. He like wants to weigh up this question. He's With the man of principle, though... I mean, we'd almost have to assume that some of the people in Corinth are married and have kids, right? Yeah. And so providing for your family in that sense, they're still providing for their family somehow and living by this principle. Yeah. You mean in Macedonia? In Macedonia, yeah. Okay. And then if, if the man of principle holds true to the Corinthians, they're yeah. also... No, I, I, I know families who have done this. I mean, maybe the family gets together, hey, guys... If we decide to live off of rice and beans for the next few months, we could squeeze out another 50 bucks. What do you think? Let's do it. Okay, Paul, here's 50 more. I mean, yeah, I can imagine something like that. And, and I'm just saying, I mean, there, there is a way possible to provide for your family and still have yes. that mentality. Well, and I think for most of us, we're nowhere near that line of demarcation. I think it's a very, very, very comfortable middle lane of, yes. of I go to movies and I buy myself toys. For me, it's board games. I like board games. Um, <laughs> and we all have different this. things. I bought a CD. I mean, we have a large discretionary category. If we take Paul's we have food and clothing, well, that will be content. You add to that some sort of reliable, dependable car, you know, a, a reasonable place to live. I'm guessing most of us have a fair amount left over. And so it's not... Well, I got to provide for my family. I, I don't know. I mean, if that's where you're at, like, I want to help this person, but we may not be able to eat tomorrow. Like, come talk to me. The elders would like to know we'd like to help you. Um, and if you're below the food and shelter line, we definitely do want to talk to you. Like, we have responsibility to help. But I think most of us are somewhere in the red, um, in the black, I mean, on the other <laughs> side of that line. Yes. Um, on the other side of that line. And so when people ask those questions, to me it seems more like a smoke screen. Like, is that really the decisions you're making? Do I take care of my family or help this person? Isn't it more like, do we not go out to eat once this week so I can help this person? You know what I mean? Do I take a smaller vacation so I can help this person? You know, it's really, I, in, in our, I'm, I've run into very, I've never run into a situation where someone's really choosing between providing for my family and helping someone. So I, I don't, that generally, to me, smells like a smokescreen when someone objects with that. But anyway, yeah. And and the other thing I would say about retirement, like, um, so like through my company, they match a certain amount, yeah. and so it seems like yeah. it would be reasonable to do that. But you're almost assuming that you are going to be alive, or that your family will be around. That's entirely the rich man's mistake. Right, that right. was the rich man's problem. Right. It's like. Right. That night, your soul's required to be so. Right. Okay. Oh, no, Dan is next. We can't, you want to bounce off. Just hold on to that, Lee. You can push back. This is not a deep theological question. Oh. <laughs> you mentioned that you 
four or five times, you, you'll get together $5 playing poker. Yeah. You can do that or $5 for a movie. Where can you go to a movie for five bucks? When I lived in LA, there was a second run cinema. They don't have anything like that around here that I'm aware of, but you could go see movies that were second, that were big. The movies would go to the main theaters first, and then they'd go to this place after that. What? Are there any places like that around here? Indianola Tuesdays. I thought, I thought you were going to ask for an invitation to the, 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 the poker games, but okay. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 Um, yeah. Okay, Lee, now you can jump in. Well, what I was thinking with all this discussion is A, it's, it's, it all, like you said, it all boils down to a heart issue. And if yeah. you have to ask questions like, am I saving too much for, I mean, there, I, I always just think, come on, people with the program here. And the other thing is, is there is in Proverbs wisdom yeah. about, you know, the ant and the grasshopper mm -hmm. or whatever bugs are involved saving. And so, you know, it's just like a balancing act. I mean, if you're a mature Christian, there comes a point where you know that you're, you have to make provision, especially yeah. like Carol said, as we get older, the provision is, is looming bigger. And, uh, you know, but you still want to keep your heart open and your wallet open to share with people. So, yeah. I mean, you know. Well, and I think, I, I, no, I think ultimately that's the thing is, Lord, help me see as beautiful helping people and then help me see the opportunities to do it. I think if you're going, and, and, I'm, and I'm only trying to free up the sense that um, if you think you'd be sinning if you touched your retirement savings, no, you're not. Like, great. Um, you got to use the Dr. Seuss test. The Dr. Seuss test is the on a boat with a goat and playing in the rain on, you know, that whole thing. And so I, I, I have no fundam. I don't, I think sometimes people, people have heard me say some of these thoughts and think that I think retirement savings and insurance are wrong. I don't think they're wrong. I'm just saying to say that they're necessary. Paul didn't have them. Many people in the world don't have them. Are they sending? I mean, now I've actually had someone t try to tell me, um, not here, but back when I was in California, that if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you don't have life insurance, you're worse than an unbeliever. And I'm just like, so the majority of people in the history of the planet are worse than unbelievers? Interesting. Okay. I mean, not saying that life insurance is a bad thing. I'm just saying that's a bad argument for life insurance. Um, that's all. Um, so that's, don't hear me say more than I'm saying. Don't hear me say more than I'm saying. Um, Anyway, moving on. Oh. oh, no, no, no. There are people, like four of them, who are listening. They want to hear what you have to say. So all that being said, what are one, two, or three priorities for the average person's finances? They get some money in. What should the priorities be? Oh, dear. What should the priorities be? Financial planning with Jeremy. Um, off, off the cuff, here's my, here's my initial statement. The first would be to figure out a budget that fits with your income. Um, most people live right at the edge of their income or slightly above it, which is why you end up with the average household having 16-something thousand dollars of consumer debt. Um, and yet, just about everyone's convinced, if I just made 10% more, I'd be all set. No, if you made 10% more, you'd adjust your, in, your lifestyle. Um, so I can, practically, I can think of no one better than Daniel Moore. 
Um, he is amazing, our associate pastor at, at budgeting and stuff. And he's made, I've heard him say, and I've seen him do it, I can make pretty much any budget work. You just got to be willing to negotiate your lifestyle. You know, um, so that'd be the first thing would just be make sure you're living within your means. Um, I think that having some, I, I, I think having an O poop fund of, you know, um, some money uh, in case the car breaks down is not a bad idea. Um, I think that uh, then thinking of what? No, you, she's, <laughs> no, no, don't label it that. Okay, hold on. Um, you guys are asking tough questions. Uh, but at the same time, we've got, you know, well, we've got about two or three months budgeted set aside in, in a savings account right now. And yet, I'd hope that if I came across a real need, I wouldn't look less for our need. That's just, that's for need. <laughs> it may be ours, maybe somebody else's, we'll see. Um, but we've got some sort of cushion um, in case the elders fire me tomorrow or something. You know, that, you know just, anyway. Um, and then I'd be thinking about, about giving and about what we could do, finding ways to serve and be generous. Like, the mentality would be, I want to store up treasure in heaven. And Jesus is going to say, if you go back to Luke, um, what we're going to get to next week, his motivation for selling and, and living um, meagerly is our desire to gain. That's his motivation. He, uh, he, he unequivocally puts in front of us the desire for... Do it's getting back to the monopoly money. Do you want lots of monopoly money or do you want lots of real money? And so if you look to Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old treasure, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I'd want to start getting a vision that I'd want to be investing in things that are going to still matter 10 million years from now. And so I, I, the, what I want to do more, when I see the Bible doing more, is getting more of a vision for that and then finding ways to do it. So figure out your budget because you gotta, you've got to make ends meet. You've got to provide the basic necessities of life. Um, you know, and some of us, like I said, with food and clothing, will be content. Well, maybe some of us are under that line and we're experiencing hardship and want. Okay. Then beyond that, I'd want to start. I mean, again, if, 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 if you had a time machine and you could go back to the first time that Microsoft or Apple stock went on the market, knowing what you, knowing what you know now, how much would you leverage of everything you owned to buy up as much of that stock as you could? Right, you would be. We can we can live off of beans and rice for a couple of months. We can get another share, right? Jesus is offering that exponentially greater, and so I think again when we're coming at it like how much do I have to do, which is not what you're asking. We, we don't get it. You know how much Microsoft do I have to buy? Um, or the classic example my old um, my old economics professor gave. You've heard me do this. I'll do the fast version. You. You haven't heard this. It'll be your first time. You walk into the supermarket. You're the one millionth customer. The bells go off. The confetti drops. The sirens are on. The, and you get to spend one whole minute in the money room. And in the money room is uh, four or five tables piled high. And you get given a, 
a big shopping bag and you're gonna get one minute to stuff as much money in that bag as you can. One table is piled high with ones, one table is piled high with fives, tens, twenty, and hundred dollar bills, big mounds. And all your friends are there and they're cheering you on. The gun goes off. You run in and you run over to the ones table and you start shoving ones in that bag. And all your friends look on horrified and say, what are you doing with the ones? And you turn around and look at them and say, what's wrong with the ones? Well, the answer is nothing, stupid. Um, and, and, um, and so here is Jesus saying, you can run around at the ones table if you want where you can get treasure that's going to last in heaven. And, and we're saying, okay, but Jesus, just to be clear, how many ones can I put in the bag first before I go to the hundreds table? We're not getting it. We don't really believe him. Um, so I would just start moving in that direction, finding things to do. You want principles. Am I being generous at all? And hopefully that's going to click. You're going to see it as beautiful. The Lord's going to bless it. You're going to want to do more. It's going to grow. Um, as you see God being faithful, because to use my monopoly analogy isn't even fair, because Jesus, um, back in verse 22, man, I'm just doing next week's sermon right now, um, he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing, which is a repeat of what he said in verse 15, for why we shouldn't be covetous. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, and they neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? So Jesus is also saying, not just can you get treasure in the future, God's going to give you what you need. So the, the monopoly analogy would really be, for every dollar you give me, I'm going to give you $100 of real money, plus periodically as I see you have need, I'm going to give you monopoly money as you play the game. That would really be the analogy what Jesus is saying. Um, and you have to trust me, and there are probably going to be some times when you wish I'd give you some, and I don't. But I care for you and I love you, and I, I take care of the ravens, I'm gonna take care of you. That that's really the analogy. Um, and so he he warns them, not warns, he encourages them with God cares for the birds, and they get twenty-seven, the lilies. Um, verse thirty-two, fear not, little flock, your father has good pleasures to give you the kingdom. He's not gonna he's not gonna rip you off. And He's, what he's trying to do is remove chains of fear. They're going to stop us from doing this good and beautiful thing we're excited to do. The, anticip the anticipated position is, oh, I really want to. That seems beautiful, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And he said, don't be afraid. He's trying to release people to do this, which, which is, again, why I want to come at it from that direction instead of guilt-tripping people into it. Here's this beautiful thing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You can, you can, the things you do, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And Jesus wants to free us up to, to aggressively invest in that department. So I'd say for starters, just start and go from there. Um, that, that's, but I wasn't ready to do eight financial tips for, for business, but that's the best I could do off the cuff. Thank you. There's two, budget and giving. Uh, I asked for three? He got, he got two. I think the budget is one. Two. Okay, budget's two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lee, Lee's got something to say. Oh, you, you want to go first, Matt? Sure. Okay. I, I would like to differentiate for me investing in 401k slash stocks with a risk of losing versus buying a lottery ticket. Oh, absolutely. Now, to me, as long as... The end goal, you were going to do something good with that money. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? 
What's the difference? Is that when you uh, invest in the marketplace, ideally everyone wins. You're creating wealth. Right? Now certainly, I grant, people can play the market like gamblers. And that's their motive is to get rich quick. Absolutely. But if you're what, let's, let's take this down and make it simply. You want to start a business. You're asking me for some startup money. You're offering to sell me 20% of your business if I'll give you X amount of startup money. Now, if everything goes well, you're going to make money. I'm going to make money. We're making wealth. Wealth is being created in this equation. With a lottery, it's static. It's just being redistributed. So that's the biggest difference I'm aware of. No, no, no. Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, on investment, yes. If I put into my 401k, there is no guarantee anybody's making money. No, no. I didn't say guarantee, but I said, here's the issue of doing things in faith. I, the motive gets back to how can I in faith do this? Now, five of us want to get together and say, hey, let's play a game. Let's everyone pull out $10. We'll roll a dice. Whoever rolls the highest number gets all the money. If you could figure out a way to do that in faith, God bless you. That seems foolish to me because someone has to lose for me to win. For me to win in that equation, you have to lose. So I'm entering into an endeavor where the best optimal outcome is everyone else loses and I win. Okay. I can enter into an investment in the marketplace with the hope, and therefore I'm doing it in faith, that everyone wins. I, I think that's a significant difference uh, that, that you can't bring. You, you can say, I'm doing this. I'm investing in this. Now, granted, when your stocks are spread out over hundreds and thousands of things, it's, but I think that that difference is significant. Which is not to say that some people can't foolishly gamble in the market. I'm just saying there is one thing you can do with the market you can't do with gambling, and that is hope that everyone wins. That, that, anyone want to jump in on that? Does, does that distinction make sense? Um, no? Stacy Moore in the back needs a microphone. Sorry, Alex. You've already spoken. It's a limited once. Okay, Stacy. Oh, it's not on. The timing makes a difference as well, I would, I would consider. Uh, if you're looking at the playing uh, the lottery, it really is a get-rich-quick type of mentality. We want to be rewarded immediately. And ideally with investment in the marketplace, it's a long-term process. You're looking at investing over a long period of time. You know, average return per year is a certain percentage. You draw that out over however many years. So it's not this mentality of greed that you want, want immediately, but that you're waiting and hoping for the best. And as Jeremy said, that there's a variety of people who would also be benefiting ideally in that context. And I think that reveals a lot about our heart condition as well as how, how quickly do we want this money be willing to wait it out and see. Indeed. Well, I think that's why the, 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 the uh, lottery has such less odds compared to the stock market, because the lottery promises immediate. Absolutely. Kathy, Alex, you're still in line, man. Um, and then I just feel that I have to say, <clears throat> excuse me, with the lottery, um, it, it takes money away from people that probably really need the money but have an addiction. And so... Um, we have to keep that in mind whenever we're looking at things like that. Well, I think it's a real shame that our government sponsors so many lotteries. The government should protect its people, not prey on it. And we know that the majority of people buying scratch tickets and stuff can't really afford to do so. It's not some happy, fun game. And I'm not saying, like I said, I can conceive of someone, you know, with a birthday card slipping in a lottery ticket. Oh, it'll be fun, you know. But the people who are buying lottery tickets every week, they know they're not, they're not winning, um, 
And so the government shouldn't be preying off its own people. It's really, to me, a shame that our government does that. Um, that's, it's, it's a tax for people who are bad at math. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, Alex, you can bring us home. We'll be done. Okay, if there are no urgent cases of needs in the church, should we stop giving to pay off our houses? Like, if we still have a mortgage. Yeah. Which is debt, right? Yeah. I mean, the bank yeah, yeah. still owns a portion of our house. Yeah, Do yeah. we stop giving if there's no cases of immediate need to put all of our resources towards paying off that debt? You're, you're asking me to give you like a moral law? So let me see <laughs> your if I get this thoughts right. on oh, no, no. that. What, thoughts what on? are your thoughts on So that? help me understand the specifics again. Help me understand the specifics and we'll be done after this. So there, you, are not, you, Alex, is not aware of any urgent cases of need. Right. Alex has extra money above right. and beyond what he needs. Right. And so he pays off the loan on his house. Should, should I, should Alex devote money that I would be giving to the church? And so let's say we set aside X amount of dollars to give to the church out of our budget. And yeah. then as needs come up, we supplement that. Should we take that money that we would normally give to the church and redirect it towards paying off our mortgage faster? Okay. I, I'm uncomfortable with your phrasing because should implies moral obligation. Okay. Um, and um, which, which would sound like a law to me. Okay. Can you, are you free to do that in faith? Is it good to do that? Is, okay. Do you I'd say all those things. Okay. Would it be bad to do that? No. About that? Okay. No. Uh, I think, okay. be, I mean, when you get to the guy, Jesus uses the example, the guy who buried it, do nothing with it. I'm just going to take the money and put it in a box under my bed. Right. That, that seems like a poor steward. We've got to view money as a stewardship. So God's given us this stewardship. Lord, you gave me the extra money, and I'm supposed to be aware of other people's needs. I don't see any. So right now I'm in debt. I'm going to pay that, some of that debt off. I think you can do that in faith. Okay. Um, with the hope that the sooner I pay off my, my mortgage, the sooner I'll have a lot more money right. to be free and generous with. Right. That sounds great to me. Okay. So I think, I mean, let me. I think he's talking about giving, giving it all. Well, <laughs> like, would it, yeah, I mean, would it be bad? That's a better way to phrase it. To, let me, let, me, let, me close. let me close. I'm going to close with this. This is, again, we, we are hardwired for law and rules. The New Testament, the New Covenant just commands us to act in love and in faith. So for any decision, the real question is, can I in love and in faith take this money and put it towards paying down my mortgage? I think the answer is yes. If you're looking for more than that, I, I, you're, you're missing the freedom of the New Covenant. Here's the example I use. I know we're going a minute late. This is important. I find 50 bucks walking down the street. We look around, try to see who it was. We can't find out who it was. Alex is with me, four or five other people with me. And I begin to have a little palaver. What should I do with the 50 bucks? And so some ideas come out. You should take your wife out to dinner. You should give it to the church. The elders will know what to do with it. You should save it for Abner's College Fund. You should go give it to this ministry that's digging wells in Africa. You should... Um, Pay off your mortgage. Um, what? No. Who's right? Who's right? There is no right answer. In the new covenant, I'm free to do every one of those things in faith. The only question I have to figure out is, can I do this and in faith and in love? Can I, can I honor my wife and take her out to dinner in faith and love? I think I can. 
Can I um, give it to the church in faith and love? I think I can. Can I give it to that homeless person over there in faith and love? I think I can. I think and so we want a law. And the New Covenant says, hey, go act, walk in the Spirit, and act in faith and in love. And, and that freedom, I think, sometimes can scare us because we know it could be abused. But um, Greg actually wants to bring us home. Hit it, Greg. Well, I'm a little uncomfortable hearing you say <clears throat> that Alex can pursue paying off his house as opposed to paying anything to the church. He's benefiting Oh, I was from not it. aware he was saying that. Oh, I thought that's what he was saying. Is that what you're saying, Alex? I thought he said, I thought, I thought he said, because I know him, I know they have a giving budget category. Let's say this month we didn't come across any urgent needs. Would it be wrong to take that money that we've set apart in our budget to give to needs and pay down our mortgage? That sounds fine to me. That sounds fine to me, too. Okay. Would it be, would it be bad to cut out the giving category yes, in order to pay off debt yes. that we owe? It would be contrary to Galatians 6 6. Okay. Ah, that's, okay. yeah, that's the oh, I see you're saying. thing that I'm. I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. We can pick this up next week. We're late. We'll be talking about money next. We'll be talking about money next week as well. So.